0: The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Nita Prose's debut novel, The Maid, hit the Sunday Times and Irish Times bestseller lists. It was a number one New York Times bestseller as well. The novel, which has sold over a million copies worldwide, has been published in more than 40 countries, and it's reported that film rights have been optioned by Universal Pictures. And now with a new murder. A new mystery. Molly the Maid has returned in a new book, which is called The Mystery Guest. I'm delighted to say I am joined by Nita Prose on the line. Good morning, Nita. Hello, Pat. How are you? I am very well, and I don't think I've ever spoken to an author with a more appropriate surname, Nita Prose. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Indeed. Now, I must admit, Pat, that it's actually not my name. It is a pen name. My real last name is Pronovo with a silent S-T on the end, which after all of these years, 51 to be exact, I still don't know how to spell it. And it certainly doesn't fit nicely on a book cover, let me just say.
0: And that's one of your areas of expertise. But because before you became a bestselling author yourself, you mentored other authors who want to be...
1: Indeed. For the last 20 years, until very recently, I worked um, with all kinds of authors at a publishing house, Simon & Schuster in Canada, and I credit my authors with teaching me everything I ever needed to know about writing, including a few Irish authors as well, such as Liz Nugent. So wonderful.
0: Now, w- one of the things you uh, talk about subsequently, after you've become a writer yourself and a very successful one, is a uh understanding what a writer faces when they decide to commit everything, their ego particularly, to the page, and then wait for the verdict of both critic and reader.
1: Exactly. It is a terrifying thing, and I must say it has humbled me greatly. I was always aware, working with my authors, that there was a certain vulnerability that comes with writing, you know? But to feel that myself, to be on the other side of things, oh my goodness, I, I felt it profound profoundly. I felt so alone in that experience and um, so wary of of rejection, which is why when I was writing my first book, The Maid, I wrote in complete secrecy. I didn't tell anyone I was writing, not my friends, not my family. And the last people on earth I would have told are writers and my other publishing colleagues, because the threat of rejection was ringing so loudly in my head.
0: So did you offer it to Simon & Schuster or did you go elsewhere?
1: I went elsewhere because, you know, I felt it, you know, seemed like a conflict of interest to me to be running a team of other editors and publishers, et cetera, and to ask them to be working on my book at the same time. So I thought it would be it would be smart to uh, separate those things and go elsewhere.
0: How did you approach your own editor then?
1: Oh, well, you know, it was such a wonderful experience. I've had, I have nothing but wonderful things to say. I do have three editors, one in the UK, one in Canada and the US, my little trifecta. We all work together and, you know, what they're really good at with me is setting volumes. I try to give as little, actually, as possible in terms of details about the world that I'm creating so that my reader can participate. I consider my reader, really a co-creator. I write my draft and give as little as possible. And then the reader using their knowledge of, you know, characters, people like Molly, perhaps, uh, hotels, places they've been, they fill in the rest with their, you know, bountiful imaginations, and they complete the book for me. And getting that balance right really is tricky. So I rely on my editors to tell me when it's enough and when it's too much.
0: After all, everyone's favourite sunset is different.
1: Absolutely true. That is very
0: true. Now, the the genesis of Molly, who's uh, the character in both The Maid, your uh, first bestseller, and now The Mystery Guest, your second book, um, where did that character come from?
1: You know, she came from a few places. Um, I first got the idea for The Maid when I was at a hotel in the UK And I left and I came back and surprised the roommate who was cleaning my room. And the embarrassing part, Pat, is that she had in her hands when I opened the door, my disgusting track pants, which were sweaty and all in a big tangled mess on my bed, because I'd gone to a meeting and changed very quickly and left them there like the slob that I am. She was holding those and I looked at her and she looked at me and I thought to myself, oh my goodness, it is such an intimate and invisible job to be a roommate. She'd been cleaning my room for days. She knew everything about me, but I knew nothing about her. And then a few days later, I was on my plane ride home, and it was just one of those little moments that came back to me. And for some reason, I started to hear a voice, and it wasn't me. It didn't sound like this. It was clean and crisp. It was polished and precise. It was basically molly and i took the napkin from under my drink on that plane ride and i started to hear what that i started to write down that voice that i was hearing and in the end i didn't know it at the time that turned out to be the prologue for the maid
0: you advert to the invisibility of uh, the maid i mean if you had gone out of your room and did not come back until the room was made up and you <laughs> denote that by the the sign on the door had now been removed and was now inside, uh, you, you'd never know anything about the character, man, woman, boy, child, whoever had cleaned your room. But this single encounter uh, put a, a face on the person who's normally quite invisible.
1: Yes, I think that's very, very true. And I think, you know, with jobs like that that are invisible, we owe an extra debt to the people who do those jobs um because it's so easy to slip into a lack of gratitude and a lack of awareness for that labor that they put for us and in a hotel that is truly stark the the guest reigns supreme in that hierarchy right and this illusion of grandeur and especially in a five star luxury boutique hotel like the Regency Grand Um, You know, all of that grandeur exists on the back of those labourers.
0: Now, we daren't give away any details even of The Maid because people have yet to read it. Some, although millions of people already have assembled (laughs) uh, Molly. Um, And we will all see uh, a movie, I believe, of uh, Molly in The Maid.
1: Indeed, I'm truly excited about that. Uh, So Universal Pictures has the rights. And, you know, the Hollywood strike uh, stymied things for a while. But I am happy to say I was recently in L.A. and things are moving along at a much faster clip at the moment. And I really hope we'll have some news to share sometime soon.
0: The talk is that Florence Pugh will be playing Molly.
1: That is the talk. We'll see. Let us all cross our fingers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> OK. Um, now, uh, Molly herself is at the heart of the original plot in The Maid. Uh, she finds herself in in some hot water. Um, but obviously, to have a second book, she survives that particular ordeal. And not alone that, in The Mystery Guest, she has been promoted.
1: Indeed. Um, she's in a better state of her life. She's, you know, through the the really keen state of grief that she felt in the first book um, from the loss of her beloved grandmother, who really acted as a navigational force in her life. And she's working at the Regency Grand. She's doing really well. Um, But unfortunately, there is another untimely death that occurs as a writer drops dead, very dead, as Molly likes to say, Mm -hmm. on the tea room floor of the hotel, and that sets off a new journey for her. Um, In this case, she isn't really the lead suspect anymore, but she is the key to the mystery. And in order for her to solve that mystery, she has to take a journey back in time to when she was just a child, 10 years old, working alongside her gran at a luxurious, if somewhat foreboding, mansion all those years ago. And it turns out she was working uh, in the mansion of J.D. Grimthorpe the man who dies. The, the man very, who dies r-
0: rather spectacularly and suddenly as he's uh, about <laughs> to reveal, and this is not a spoiler, about to reveal some some mystery, some secret uh, as yet untold.
1: Exactly. And, you know, Molly must ex- excavate her own memories to figure out uh, what she knew about him from the past that explains a lot in the present.
0: Now, in your prologue, you uh, talk in Molly's voice of uh, something that her gran once told her, a story where did you find that story?
1: Oh well, this is just remarkable, Pat. It's a true to life story. And a few years ago, when when I was uh, decided that it would might be a very good idea for me to write a sequel, I was wondering, my goodness, what am I going? Where am I going to take this? And you know, I was delivered a gift from the gods, and it happened. In the UK, I was outside of Brighton in a little town called Lewes. I was touring for The Maid at the time. And I went to this castle and museum. And in that place, I came across the most unusual display, which included the mummified body of a rat. And beside that, a single silver spoon. It was the oddest, you know, display in a museum. And I read the little write-up. And as it turns out... That was a memorial to a maid who had once worked in this castle, and she had been unceremoniously dismissed after having been accused of stealing a piece of silver. And many, many years later, now, remember, this is a 17th century castle. Builders were opening up the walls, and lo and behold, they found a rat's nest. And in that rat's nest, they found that mummified rat, and beside it, that single silver spoon. And when I saw this, my mind just sort of exploded. The creative possibilities opened up. It was a parable. It was a cautionary tale at the same time. I could almost imagine Graham's words, you know, be careful what you assume. Nothing is ever as it seems. And, you know, importantly, the past Will never stay buried forever, and with those sort of refrains ringing in my head, I went back to the notion of a sequel where Amali would go back to her past and understand fundamental things about her grandmother that would end up resolving the mystery in the present tense.
0: Now you know the way pop groups and uh, solo artists are terrified of what they call the second album syndrome. Oh yeah, Uh, (laughs) did you have that about your second book?
1: Did I ever? I don't think I'm alone in that amongst writers um, and musicians, as you note. Uh, It really is terrifying because you have a tapestry. And for me, the question was, how do I give readers who have now come to love Molly, how do I give them more instead of less? And I vowed to myself that I would give it a try. But if I failed, that manuscript would never uh, see uh, the outside of my desk It would never um, belong out there in the world. But I tried it and by the end of it, um, I was happy with what I'd produced and I decided to share it.
0: Uh, The uh, elements of uh, the plotting, I I mean, even though it's in the the current time we live in, uh, initially reading the book, I'm thinking, where exactly in time is Mm. this set? Because it could be back in the 1950s in the world of Agatha Christie, but then I see a mention of YouTube for example so it cannot be then but you are unashamed in your admiration for uh, Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes Agatha Christie and all of her work and in a contribution perhaps to Molly's character and voice uh, Eleanor Oliphant Mhm
1: yes I I loved I, I mean I am a devotee of Agatha Christie the great uh, mistress of mysteries Um, but, you know, I wanted to try and use the style of a classic mystery, but, um, give it a sort of contemporary flair at this very same time. And a book that meant a lot to me was Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman. And the reason is because it, it fundamentally asks and answers an important question, which is how do you love a cactus? What (laughs) I mean by that is when you have a character like, like Eleanor or like Molly, she's a bit prickly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's a little hard to hug at times, maybe even frustrating. And yet what the, the journey that that author takes us on teaches us how to love somebody who may be a little bit different, who may be in some ways, um, a misfit of sorts, living as Eleanor, you come to love her. And I hoped, I hope, that the reader experiences that with Molly as well—that to live as her for a little while is to love her.
0: Yeah, and also um, Molly's approach to life, where you know she doesn't read people very well, but she reads you know other things so well, which makes her quite a good sleuth in her own way. Um, different strokes for different folks.
1: I think that's very true. We are all different, and yet we are all the same. Um, something that Grand notes in in both books. And uh, I think that's true. In the second book, Molly is, has grown exponentially in, in remarkable ways. And her unusual perspective allows her to see things that other people miss.
0: Well, I'm currently enjoying watching uh, reruns of Poirot on television. I'm a great fan of uh, Agatha Christie. i really enjoyed the mystery guest over the last few days in preparation for our conversation it's absolutely brilliant it's, it's an entertainment there's no other word for it Nita congratulations on it uh, I hope there will be more from Molly although you know she moved up uh, a rung or two in reaching the, the heights of uh, her profession as uh, the cleaning person in the hotel where else can she go?
1: Well, there are many possibilities, and in fact, I've just completed a novella that will uh, probably come out later this year, and it's a holiday story. Uh, and Molly finds herself uh, looking forward to the holidays, but Juan Manuel, her beloved boyfriend, is acting really strange these days. Uh, you know, he's tired all the time, and his comings and goings can't be explained, and Molly is is desperately trying to solve a new mystery, a mystery of love. Has she, uh, once again, uh, mistaken a frog for a prince? And as it turns out, um, there are all kinds of jingle bells ringing in this holiday story. And Molly doesn't quite hear that uh, they are, might be different bells entirely because she's about to get the biggest gift of her life.
0: Well, the book currently, before the novella arrives on our desk, is called The Mystery Guest. It's published here by HarperCollins and its author, Nita Prose. Nita, thank you very much for joining us.